0: Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Round, your overview of this week's Precious Metals News. It's Friday, February 12th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, theme of the day, economics is a thing. Just keep that in mind. So, gold has rebounded a bit this week, and we're solidly back above the $1,800 an ounce level. The yellow metal is down a bit this morning with some dollar strength, but still looks to be on course to have its best week in three, barring a big sell-off or something. Stocks, on the other hand, had another record week this week. The hope for big stimulus continues to pump air into that bubble. I've been saying this for quite a while. The markets seem completely detached from any actual economic or fiscal reality. I mean, I can't figure out if people don't get it or they just don't care, or maybe a little bit of both. I mean, some people get it, I guess. One analyst told CNBC, quote, the bigger picture should be positive for gold because of the current monetary and fiscal policy mix, but despite all the tailwind, gold's just grinding lower, so it's not a very constructive view for the time being. The bigger picture is positive for gold, so it's not a very constructive view. That sentence doesn't even make any sense, but that really is this market in a nutshell. Up is down, down is up. Here's another example for you, and let me start by giving you a little bit of historical perspective. One week in March 2009, 665,000 people filed first-time unemployment claims. It was the worst week for jobless claims for the entirety of the Great Recession. Now, the record for jobless claims in a single week before the pandemic was 695,000 that was set back in the 1980s. Last week, 793,000 Americans filed first-time unemployment claims. Since this whole coronavirus pandemic started, we have yet to see a week where the weekly jobless claims were less than the worst week of the Great Recession. I mean, this seems less than ideal, right? And yet, every week, we get these big numbers, these big uh, jobless claim numbers, and every week, I'm told this is good news. It was lower than expected, or it was lower than last week, or hey, it's below a million, or whatever. There is always some spin to make this positive. Like I said, up is down, and down is up. Anyway, I think as far as the gold and silver markets go, there is still this underlying belief that at some point the Fed is going to have to fight inflation and interest rates are going to rise and this is somehow bearish for gold. So in this up is down world, inflation is bad for gold. Now, if the Fed was actually going to raise rates to fight rising prices, that argument might hold some water. But the Fed isn't going to fight inflation. It's not going to raise interest rates. It can't do it. And Jerome Powell is telling us he's not going to. You know, Powell was out talking this week, and he made this absolutely clear. The Fed chair called for a society-wide commitment to reaching full employment, calling for, quote, contributions from across government and the private sector. He said getting people back to work would require, quote, continued support from both near-term policy and longer-run investment. He also dismissed concerns about debt, saying the focus needs to be on the economy's immediate needs. So if you need me to translate Fed speak for you, Powell is basically saying the central bank is going to enable the U.S. Treasury to borrow all the money it needs for these massive stimulus plans. The printing press is going to keep right on running. As Peter Schiff put it in his podcast, he's basically giving the U.S. government a blank check. Powell emphasized that the Fed isn't thinking about shrinking its $7 trillion balance sheet. He went on to say that the balance sheet will be no larger than what it has to be in order for the Federal Reserve to satisfy the demand for our liabilities. Now, what exactly are the Fed's liabilities? dollars. So translated out of Fed speak, Powell said that the central bank is going to let its balance sheet get as big as necessary to supply Uncle Sam's demand for stimulus dollars. Now we already know that this demand is basically limitless, right? $1.9 trillion for Rona relief is just the start. Then we have this infrastructure plan that I keep hearing about that's coming down the pike. God only knows what the demand for dollars for that's going to be. You can't simultaneously fight inflation and pump out dollars. The bottom line is the Fed is stuck between a rock and a hard place. It has to print trillions of dollars to monetize the massive deficits that the U.S. is running up. But that is causing inflation expectations to run hot, and that's putting upward pressure on interest rates. But you can't have rising interest rates when your entire economy is built on debt. The only way the Fed can hold rates down is to buy more bonds, which means printing more money, which means even more inflation. So you can see the vicious cycle that the Fed has got itself in, right? At some point, there is a fork in the road, and the Fed's going to have to choose. Step up and deal with inflation and let rates rise, which will burst the stock market bubble and collapse the debt-based economy, or just keep printing money and eventually crash the dollar. That's the economic reality. Now, how long will it take for this to play out? I have no clue. It's played out far longer than I ever imagined, but I'm still certain it will play out. I mean, economics is a thing. Speaking of economics being a thing, I want to spend the rest of the show talking about the minimum wage. But before I delve into that subject, a quick side note. When the Reddit people were all about silver a week or two ago, I was saying that the fundamentals look really good, and you should be bullish on silver with or without the attention of the Reddit people. This week, the Silver Institute released its demand forecast for 2021, and it looks really solid. The Institute expects an 11% overall rise in demand for silver in the coming year, with increases in every sector. I'll link to the report that I wrote about that on the show notes page. So with Biden in the White House and Democrats controlling both houses of Congress, it looks like we're going to end up with a $15 an hour minimum wage. I know that was part of the original stimulus plan that Biden floated. I haven't been keeping up with the latest details on the plan, but whether it's part of stimulus or comes in some other package down the road, I'm sure $15 an hour is coming. Have you ever wondered why $15? I mean, why is that the magic number? I can tell you exactly why. It sounds good. Fight for 15 is a marketing slogan that's about to become economic policy. There is no evidence that $15 an hour is an ideal minimum wage. I mean, there can't be any evidence because there is no such thing as an ideal wage. It's something that is set by the marketplace. You can't just pull a number out of thin air and say, oh, this is the magic elixir. Now, minimum wage laws are bad economics, and deep down, everybody knows it. You know how I know everybody knows it? Because nobody is calling for a $75 an hour minimum wage. But if we can just arbitrarily set wages, why not 75 or 100 The reason is, when you get into those bigger numbers, it becomes very clear that the economy could not sustain it. I always look at the minimum wage from kind of the other side, basically a $15 an an hour minimum wage is the government telling you that it's illegal for you to take a job for $14 an hour. Now, what if you would be perfectly happy working for $14 an hour? Too bad, not allowed. The whole debate really frustrates me. Bring up Fight for 15 and you suddenly get high school dropouts who can't do basic multiplication yelling at you emphatically about the benefits of government-imposed wage floors because, you know, they feel like it should work. So I live in Florida. And back in November, voters approved a $15 per hour state minimum wage. It got over 60% of the vote. Now, this isn't exactly a blue state. In fact, Trump carried Florida. So, you know, really, there's a pretty conservative streak here. But an overwhelming number of voters did the progressive $15 per hour thing. How does this work? Well, I'm pretty sure most people just looked at the ballot measure and said, yeah, it would be good for people to make a little more money. I'll vote for that. It feels good. But as I said at the top of the show, economics is a thing, and your feelings don't trump economic realities. The economic reality is this. When you raise the price of something, you lower demand for that thing. That means all things being equal, there will be fewer people hired at a higher minimum wage. Now, you're going to get economists out there and they're going to have these studies and they're going to say, oh, this proves that the minimum wage didn't really impact it. And, you know, really there's no way you can pull a wage, the impact of the wage, out of all of the other things that are going on in the economy. You have to go back to these economic fundamentals. Like I said, when you raise a price, you lower demand. It happens every single time. If all things are equal, a higher minimum wage will mean fewer people hired. Again, really, everybody knows this, right? If McDonald's charges 15 bucks for a hamburger, it's going to sell fewer hamburgers. This isn't even debatable. But for some reason, people think this basic economic truth just poof vanishes when we apply it to labor. No. Let's look at it again from the worker's point of view. Say I just graduated from high school, I was not a very good student, and I really don't have any skills. Let's say I can produce $10 an hour of value, which probably is being generous, but let's just use that number. Somebody somewhere would be perfectly happy to hire me for $10 an hour. I can create that much value for that employer. But if the government comes in and says, no, you have to pay Mike $15 an hour, I ain't getting a job. I can't produce enough to warrant that level of pay. So minimum wage laws make some people unemployable. And they can never be employable because they can't get hired in order to gain the skills necessary to raise their productivity. So it puts them in a vicious cycle of poverty. If you ever get a chance, read Walter Williams' autobiography. He talks about how he got a job making a quarter sweeping floors at a dry cleaner. That wouldn't be allowed today, right? But in the process, he learned how to work some of the machines, and he ended up being much more valuable to that employer than he would have been otherwise, he, and he got the pay raise to prove it. Let's look at it another way. Let's take wages out of the equation, because when you start talking about people's paycheck, uh, people really get into my feels. Let's just imagine that the government sets a minimum price for aluminum cans at five bucks. This, of course, is to help the aluminum companies. In that scenario, Coca Cola would have to charge over five dollars for a can of Coke, right? Would you shell out more than five bucks for a can of Coke? Nah, me neither. In all likelihood, Coca-Cola would just switch to glass or plastic containers. The $5 minimum can price that was supposed to help the aluminum companies would actually hurt them over the long term. Now, I'm sure the next step would be a government mandate requiring the use of aluminum cans or banning plastic and glass. But you know what? I'm still not paying 6 bucks for a can of Coke. So Coke would just pile up on the shelf. In the meantime, politicians would hit the campaign trail bragging about how they just helped the aluminum company. Gee, yeah, thanks. This is precisely what happens when government imposes arbitrary minimum wage laws. It creates all kinds of economic distortions throughout the chain of production. Workers at the bottom of the skill pool can't find work. Prices rise, and companies look for alternatives. You know, I just saw an article this week that Kroger, uh, that's a big grocery chain out in the Midwest, Kroger is running a pilot program for all self-checkout stores. They know what's coming down the pike, and they're getting ready for it. So, theme of the day. Economics is a thing, and you know what? Economics always wins in the long run. So, I recommend being prepared for the economic realities that are coming down the pipe. How do you do that? I highly recommend talking to a shift Gold Precious Metal specialist. They can help you prepare your portfolio and tell you how precious metals can help preserve your wealth uh, as things deteriorate down the road, because I think they're going to deteriorate down the road. Just give them a call, 1-888-GOLD-160, or shoot them an email, info at schiffgold.com. Uh, they'll get back to you if you email them. These guys are great, and they can really help you figure out individually how precious metals can work into your investment strategy. So that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more, and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, You can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links to those things on the show notes page. I appreciate you listening to the show, and I'll talk to you again next time.